Uh, we've been in this series now for a couple weeks uh, called A Very Classic Christmas, and what the reason I wanted to go into this is this time of year, you know, we have the story of the baby. We have the story of the advent, and all, ad- all advent means is arrival. And this arrival of the, of the Christ child is a, well, it's a, it's a our calendar's changed. <laughs> uh, everything, the, the entire world changed at this moment. And last week, you know, we talked about that Jesus didn't necessarily do what they were expecting, expecting him to do. You know, he wasn't a, um, uh, they expected the Messiah to be a militaristic ruler that would come in and would, you know, shepherd the Romans out. And they would start a new kingdom of just, you know, of just Jewish people and the Gentiles would be gone and we could finally establish this kingdom. And Rome had only been occupying uh, Jerusalem for about 60 years prior to Jesus' arrival. But they were very much used to being uh, oppressed, occupied uh, by, you know, the Babylonians, the exile, by the Assyrians, by uh, taken into captivity in, in, in Egypt. And so they were very used to, like, being overlorded and just ugh, oppression. So the Messiah, over a period of time, becomes, for them, someone that they, they want to kick out the oppressors, kick out the occupiers, so we can finally establish this kingdom, and Jesus did not do what they expected. Rome was still in power when he was resurrected. Rome still had as much power as, uh, as before and after Jesus. Jesus really didn't bother much with, with Rome and what was going on with that. He was more looking for their souls and their hearts. And that wasn't what they expected. So they crucified him. They saw him as a blasphemer, as a, as a common criminal, and he died next to criminals. So in the story that we have before us today, that was last weekend was Jesus didn't do what I expected, because from the Old Testament we have all these prophecies, and, and today it's, it's about ignoring what God says. And we do that all the time. We ignore Scripture, we ignore what God says. We, we think we know better or, you know, did God really say that? And the Messiah has been prophesied throughout the Old Testament countless times. And this wasn't a surprise. This was someone that we were, we were waiting for. And the Old Testament and the New Testament are inextricably linked. You can't unhook them. Because there are, the New Testament authors and writers and Jesus are always referring back to the Old Testament. In fact, I'm going to have an image of all of the cross-references. A cross-reference is when the New Testament pulls back to the Old Testament. So on the left side of your screen will be the Old Testament. You know, you have Genesis and all of that. And then you have the, the break where the New Testament begins. And this is where you're always pulling back and, and going and finding. There's another picture too as well. That might help us out a little bit. These are the times the Bible references itself. You can't unhook those two things and say, well, you know, the Old Testament was one era, and I'm just going to be the New Testament. They are are linked up. And so in these are messianic prophecies. And so the book of Isaiah is one that we've been in for quite a while, 
And this is a, I'm using Isaiah next week, I'll be in Micah, but Isaiah is easy because it's filled with these prophecies. It's filled with these promises of who this Messiah would be. And in this story, I'm using Isaiah because it's very reliable. It is a document that we have that is the oldest full document that we in, in faith and Christianity and Judaism have. It's, it's complete. And Isaiah, especially, Jesus revered and used in his own ministry, but also Isaiah refers to Jesus. So it's one of those back and forth type text. In Luke chapter 4, we, we got into this a little bit last week, Jesus uses the book of Isaiah to announce who he is. Luke 4 is very early on in the ministry of Christ. You know, Luke 1 and 2, you have the birth narrative. Luke 3 is a genealogy. Luke 4 is really the establishment of Jesus' ministry. He goes and he's tested in the wilderness by Satan. Then he comes back and he goes home. He goes home to Nazareth. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, let's go there. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. Then the scroll scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Let me kind of stop. Let's go back to that verse. This would be a Behind an altar, behind a door usually, I'm not sure about this synagogue, there would be a scroll locked and hidden away. You would bring out this scroll, and it's huge, and you would lay it down on a table, and you would unroll it and find the text in the book of Isaiah. These scrolls were sacred to each synagogue. They were not easy to find. They're not easy to to get. And so when you got a, a scroll, you protected it. You took care of it. There is a fascinating history of the scrolls that were saved um, during uh, the German uh, occupation of Jewish lands. And so when they would come in, they would raid these synagogues. The first thing that they would do is they would save these scrolls, and they're scrolls that traveled in the backs of carts. They would be hidden under floorboards just to save these scrolls. And there's beautiful ones that are in various museums throughout the world that were rescued from being burned when the Germans would burn down some synagogues. That's how important this scroll was. And Jesus uses this moment to announce in verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sits down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened upon him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You know, if you had a mic, that's when it happens. I am, he's saying, the anointed one. I am here to proclaim the good news to the poor, to set, to set prisoners free, to give the blind their sight back, 
to set the oppressed to free, and to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. This is it. I am here. How would that go over in your hometown? Now, we have the benefit of resurrection. We know the end of the story. But these folks in his hometown synagogue knew teenage Jesus. They knew Mary, Joseph. They knew adolescent Christ. They knew the carpenter. This wasn't a, this, this, the story was Mary and Joseph are in protection mode of this Savior. The, it, there was a time where they had to flee and be in Egypt, and they come home to Nazareth, and they, uh, Joseph gets to work, and he gets a trade, and he teaches his son how to do this. And there wasn't an announcement, because he was, he was being hunted from the first mention of his name because of who he represented. So this wasn't they would go home and say, oh, yeah, hey, this is the Savior of the world. Here, hold him. This, they would not do that. So this was a story of Jesus showing up at around 30 years old and saying, I am the anointed one. In verse 28, in Luke 4, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they hear this. They got up, they drove him out of town. They take him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off a cliff. Somehow, through Jesus' miraculous ways. He just shielded them, confused them, uh, blinded their eyes. He just said, oh, we're not doing this yet. And just walked, walked away. And then he began his ministry in, earn, in earnest after that. But from the moment of his announcement, they want to kill him. Because he is projecting blasphemy to them. So this is year 30. Jesus begins his ministry by then. And so this wasn't a surprise, or it should not have been a surprise, because Jesus reaches back to Isaiah to announce his arrival, and it does not go well. Why would Jesus go backwards to, to proclaim what is coming? Because the prophets, Isaiah especially, have been shouting from the rooftops who this person is. And 700 years earlier, that's how long this prophecy took to be fulfilled, in Isaiah chapter 53, we have a stunning sequence of verses. I'm going to read the entire chapter because um, I do not like breaking this one up. Isaiah 53 is often called the, the prophecy of the suffering servant. This is someone that... Uh, Isaiah is saying, hey, this person is coming, and this is what his attributes will be. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot out of dry ground, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation even protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, we read this, and we obviously, 2,000 years, 2,700 years later, know, oh, that's Jesus. That's You read it, and it just keeps hitting you over and over again, like, whoa. Isaiah kind of nailed it. But imagine you are in the synagogue, and they bring out that scroll every year. You hit Isaiah 53, you read it, and you go, this document is 300 years old. For this, doc- this is 500 years old. How long must we wait for this Messiah? And so a narrative begins to build of, okay, yeah, I know all of the suffering and the bearing the iniquities. I get that. But right now, what I need, what I need my Messiah to do is to kick the Romans out. What I need right now is all of my circumstances that are around me, I need that fixed. I get the whole lamb, shepherd, iniquity, cool, um, but I'm being oppressed. And so we want the Savior to show up and do the things that we need fixed immediately. And Jesus is more interested in the iniquity of our soul and, and redeeming us from that sin. And that is hard. But often we'll just ignore texts like this. But I'm going to go back through, because I think this is really important for us to understand. Because the suffering servant, the, the baby that is born on Christmas, this, this starts a timer. That's what we're celebrating. You know, the, the advent or arrival at Christmas. This starts a timer in, in world history where the shepherds are awakened, the angels can't keep a secret, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, And they run into town and they see this child that is born that was been promised for so long. Clock starts ticking. He's going to be immediately hunted. He'll be immediately uh, tried to be found out. They'll flee to Egypt. They'll come back. Be in hiding in Nazareth, living a normal life. And around year 30, the ministry begins. And this ministry is 
focused in on, and I'm going to go through Isaiah 53 kind of chunk by chunk here, just because this is too important to miss. Let's go to verse 2. He grew up like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Now, this is not a scripture that says Jesus is ugly. Okay? Because if I were to say to you, um, you have nothing in your appearance that would make me desire you, um, that's not a compliment. (laughs) What this is, is a, a way to be the opposite of Satan. Satan is very attractive. Satan is alluring. Satan uses shallow methods to get you to do what he wants you to do. This is a, hey, he's not even working with physical beauty. He's going to work with just intention, and he's going to work with piercing your soul. He's not going to work. He just looks like a normal carpenter in the first century. He's not going to lure you with beauty or, or a trick. That's what that is about. And in verse 4, Shirley took up our pain he bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God. He was stricken by him. He was afflicted. But he was, and this is the, verse 5 is the, the stunner of, the, I think, the whole thing. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. If you don't have context of crucifixion, which didn't happen yet, and this was 700 years before the Rome. Rome loved crucifixion. They did it all the time. It's a very painful death, a death that took a long time for it to occur. It was a death by example. That's why the crucifixions usually took place outside of town, up on a hill, saying, mess with us, you get this. The billboard. It is a billboard for remember who's in charge. And this is going to take a while. And we might even extend it a little bit by offering you, you know, fermented wine just to kind of make this thing go a little slower. You'll be out in the sun. You'll be dehydrated. Your, the piercing will go through your wrists. And the weight of your own body will crush your diaphragm. And you'll, you'll basically run out of air. But Isaiah saying he's pierced for our transgressions 700 years before this? Whoa. And he's crushed. Why? Why is he crushed? Because of our iniquities. Because of what we have done. And the punishment that brought us peace, this wholeness or shalom, is what will create this salvation for us, and it's through his wounds we are healed. Now, this is a story of a Messiah willing to take the punishment for whom he is trying to save. We, like sheep, in verse 6, have gone astray. Everyone has turned to their own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he's oppressed, he's afflicted, and he did not open his mouth. This is the trial. This is the night where he is accused, and he just takes it. This is Good Friday. He could have rained down lightning. He could have brought through any angels that he needed, yet he just absorbed the accusations. 
And he just took it, and he's led like a lamb up the hill to his slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he just takes it. Why? Because he knows the end. And as important as Christmas is, without Good Friday, and especially without Easter, without crucifixion and resurrection, Christmas then is just some baby was born in Bethlehem. But since we have crucifixion and resurrection, Christmas is a really big deal. Does that make sense? And so because of this event, this oppression and this judgment in verse 8, he's taken away, yet who of his generation even protested? Who cared? Nobody. Actually, they were calling for Barabbas instead of Jesus. They wanted Barabbas to be free. And he's going to be cut off from the land of the living. Why? Because of the transgression of my people. It's a remarkable prophecy. It is a remarkable story of, by his wounds we are healed, and no one of his generation really even protested. I'm going to go to the very end in verse 12. And it says, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong. He pours out his life and death unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, we don't use this language a lot. I don't know if you really use the word intercession a lot in your life or transgressor. So what I'm going to try to do is uh, interceding is you getting in between someone and something else. If your kid is getting ready to run into the street, you would intercede in that moment and get in between your child and the street and say, no, 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 that will hurt you. That's intercession. I'm going to intercede and get in the middle of this. So we have things that are called uh, intercessory prayer, where you are praying to God to intercede on somebody's behalf, like, Lord, help. <laughs> Basically, it's help. And a transgressor is a sinner or a debtor, someone that owes someone something, and that is, that is us. We use this word sometimes in the Lord's Prayer, depending upon how you grew up. Forgive us of our transgressions, as we have forgiven those who have transgressed against us. Forgive us our sins, or what we owe, or our debt. And we have a Father and a Messiah that looked upon us and said, I'm going to intercede on their behalf. And how does he intercede? <laughs> and this is what is so fun about this time of year. He intercedes by becoming flesh. Um, sometimes you'll hear the word incarnation. This is a, a church word, um, uh, Latin and Greek. This is kind of a crude way to say it. <laughs> um, Anybody ever eat, like, carne asada in, uh, in Mexico? Or, you know, like, you go get carne. Um, carne means meat. So, in carne means with meat. So, Jesus is with flesh. 
incarnate, incarnational. He is a God that is with us. And in this, this season that we're in is this God is, is going to be with us, with flesh, as a poor, infant, defenseless, needing protection. And that's what we celebrate this time of year. It's like that's the route God shows. And so then for 30 years, it's quiet. We see seven-year-old Jesus, you know, in the temple, um, you know, very early on. We don't have many stories about, you know, young Jesus. I saw something the past few weeks where it says, parents, if you're frustrated or struggling, remember Mary and Joseph lost Jesus for three days and didn't notice, okay? So it's... Um, it's that we don't see young Jesus very much. At 30 years old, he shows up at his hometown synagogue and says, I'm here. And in his hometown responds by, sweet, let's throw you off a cliff. And for three years, miracle after miracle, he's, a, he's announcing who he is, and we will just ignore it. And then Christmas comes around, and we celebrate... God with us that has been predicted for 700 years before his arrival. The text I read you is 2,700 years old. And we still get to come and gather and celebrate it. It's a remarkable thing. We're celebrating this, uh, this Emmanuel. Another church word we never really explained. All of a sudden it just shows up in Christmas songs and we sing it. And it's not the name Emmanuel. There's some people named Emmanuel. Anytime in your Bible, if you ever see the word E-L attached to something or near something, that's the name of God. So Beth-El, house, God. Emmanuel, with God. So you have this name attached to this arrival in this season, and what we're celebrating is the clock starts to tick. So when we sing this morning about Jesus' arrival, yes, he arrives, but he's going to suffer. And we praise the fact that he was willing to do that even for a transgressor like me. As the team comes up, let me pray for you. Lord, as you begin your ministry with reaching back into the book of Isaiah this morning, we read from that text as well. And in that way, we feel connection. We read the same text that you read. We read the same book that you, un- the same scroll that you unrolled, that sacred text. And so, God, when we celebrate this morning your arrival, we're also celebrating where this is heading. And as painful as what you went through was, you did it to bear our iniquities, to take upon yourself our sin. And we just can't say thank you enough. For in that grace and that mercy and that compassion that you shine your love down upon us, so much so that you even arrived and became our Emmanuel, our God with us.
it's in your name we pray. Amen.